Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. So, yeah, my name is Jason. Uh, if, you, if you're new to the church in the past two weeks, I haven't been here. I've been in Tanzania, Arusha, Tanzania, with nine other individuals from Freedom Valley Church, joining 175 total people from around the world, some from uh, Switzerland, some from Sweden. They are very different, and they get super offended when you compare the two. Just travel tip. Um, people, people from Latin America, Asia, uh, all over the United States. We joined Missions SOS to do a large-scale festival in Arusha, Tanzania, believing that if, if we showed up in power and with numbers and with the Holy Spirit on our side, we could see a great change in the people of that city. And I'm here to give you a small report. We saw a great change. It was awesome. It, it was incredible. And, um, and we're in a, a deep dive where Candace and I, we just, whatever God puts on our heart, we get to, to preach about. And before I left, I went, I have no idea what I'm going to preach about, but I'm sure I'll come up with something in Africa. And then on the way back, I went, I have so much I want to preach about, I have no idea what to talk about. So I decided to call today's message Lessons from Africa. And these aren't lessons that I felt like God told me our church needed. They're lessons that I personally learned in Africa. Things that, that God spoke to my heart, things that I want to, to grow in in my life, and hopefully that you'll be blessed by hearing as we, we talk some stories from Africa. Who wants to hear some stories from the mission field today? Exciting, right? And, and I, I have a very loose sermon structure, and it's my goal to get you out of here by like 10.30 today. No, I'm kidding. Um, I have a lot of stories I want to tell. And, and as I was watching that video, I was reminded of one. So before I even get to my sermon notes, before I lay out what we're going to talk about, I just want to tell you uh, one of the, we, we saw, what was it, 900 healings, I think it said something like that. One of them, uh, I had the opportunity to be used by God uh, in, in a way. And an individual at one of our street outreaches, every time we, we do some dancing, we do some silliness, we do a drama, we share the gospel, we invite people up to, to pray the sinner's prayer, receive a small gift of how to be a Christian, we collect their information, we connect it to a church. And then after that, we say, if there's anyone here who's sick, the Jesus that all of these individuals just met can heal you. And we believe he'll heal you now if you come forward. And then we pray for the sick. And at one of the locations, um, an individual came up to me and he said, um, he said to my translator, I'm having trouble breathing. I've been sick for a week or two, and I can't breathe. And, and I told him, take a deep breath. And he goes, <gasps> and I said, do it again. And he goes, <gasps> and he could, you could hear the wheeze heavily in his voice. And I go, okay, let's pray. And I lay my hands on his chest, and I begin to feel it being lighter as I call out to Jesus. And, and I, I stop the minute I can tell that, that his breath has, has gotten clearer. And I say, now breathe deep again. And he goes, and his eyes lighten up, and he says, Jesus healed me in that moment. That it, was, it was confirmed, it was tested, it was measurable, it was, it was, there was evidence in that moment. That, that not that I healed anyone, but God healed someone when I stepped out. That's why I do missions. There's a number of people in this service who are on the trip with me, and I'm fairly certain everyone could share a story right now on this stage. So I'm going to call... No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to call them up. I'm not going to do that this morning. Some of them want to. Others don't. Um, 
but, but, but we're not going to get to that. So the reason I wanted to share this story is because missions has changed my life. We do short-term missions here at Freedom Valley for, for one reason. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to stop just 19. We'll leave it at 19 today. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The word nation there is actually a word more closely translated to people groups, ethnos, ethnicities. Go and preach to all kinds of people. It's not national lines or countries because they're always changing and always will change, but, but there will always be people groups in our world. Go to all of the peoples of the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to make disciples. We need to go. So why do we go on short-term mission trips? People actually ask me this question a lot. Why are you going? You know how much it costs for 10 individuals from Freedom Valley Church to fly from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, to uh, Charlotte, to JFK, to Kenya, to uh, Arusha? It was a lot of travel. Why did it cost $30,000 for 10 individuals to go on that mission trip? Why do we spend that kind of money doing that kind of thing? Wouldn't we do more impact in the world if we just sent a $30,000 $30, check to the churches of Arusha? Maybe. You could make that argument. But I don't have to make that argument because Jesus said right here, therefore go. He, he didn't just say to send. We need to support missions, and we do support missions and missionaries as a church. That's essential. Paul talks about that in other parts of Scripture. But he says go. So why do we go? Because he said go. I shouldn't have to defend it more than that, but if I do, here's why I go on short-term missions trips. When I was 14 years old, I cannot remember how I heard about it. I can't remember why I did it. I can't even remember who invited me, but I went on a missions trip to Honduras. And, and at 14 years old, I, I said, I'll go. I raised the money. I traveled to Honduras with another group of teenagers, and I used whatever I could to share the gospel with people. Uh, they put me in clown makeup. I danced for children. I, it was my first time leading a crowd in the wave, which is just something I love to do. Like when I'll start on one side and I'll go like this and they stand. It's just great. Like I got to do that in Honduras. But the thing I got to do the most was see that if I was willing to do whatever it took, people would respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I was willing to be used, God would use me, me, tiny little 14-year-old me, to share the gospel. And it absolutely changed my life. And something sparked in me at that moment. And I knew this is something I would do for the rest of my life. But I, I knew I wasn't called to be a missionary, you know, somebody who lives in another country. I, that's not me. I can't do that. And, and a lot of us think, why don't we just leave that to the professional missionaries? Why do we have to go? There's people who are called to do that. Well, the National Assemblies of God does studies on these numbers, and every year they, they survey the, the National Assembly, and they find out how many people feel like at one point in their life they might be called to be a full-time missionary. And it is like a fraction of 1% of American Christians say, I will be a full-time missionary. There are over 6,000 unreached people groups in the world. Billions of people don't know Jesus, and we want a fraction of 1% of American Christians to reach them. If they worked tirelessly all their lives, they couldn't make a dent. But if every Christian who is capable said, for one week of the year, for, for one week of a year, every other year, if, if occasionally I'll travel and I'll reach anyone I can, 
when 10 individuals from Freedom Valley joined 175 individuals, look at the impact it made in one week. That's why I do short-term missions. Sure, there's weaknesses of short-term missions. I can't make the long, lifelong relationships and discipleships, but I can partner with churches. I preached in two separate churches in Africa. Our, our team of 175 missionaries preached in over 95 churches, some in multiple services. I actually preached in three services over two weekends. Like, we, we made connections with pastors. And every time we did the outreach out, in the, out on the streets, we collected people's information, and we have given that information to the pastors so that they can now reach out to those new believers and connect them to their church. So discipleship part of what Jesus said can happen. We need to do this. It's not why do we do this. We do this because we need to. The world needs it. We need it. It changes us. You know the other reason I do short-term missions? And anyone who's been a leader on a short-term missions trip will understand this. At a certain point, my heart is, those salvations, those healings, those deliverances were amazing. But as a leader, my heart starts to shift, and it focuses on the individuals I'm bringing and the life change that happens in them, and I can't help but celebrate my team a little bit. Individuals who on day one went, I, I know I said I'd share my testimony, but I just can't. It's, it's too much. I'm not good enough. My story's not powerful enough. It, there's not enough there. And then by the end, they're like, I have to tell people my story. Because God reveals the power in their story. Individuals who when they, like I said, we, we travel to churches and there is nothing more awkward. We actually split up in pairs away from each other. And we were driven by a pastor to a small town church, dirt floor, plastic chairs. We don't speak the language. No one in the church speaks English. And it's just one translator. And we're sitting there. And, and their services are drastically different from ours, let me tell you. It's like, like song, sit, song, sit, offering song, song message, song, song. It's just a lot of songs that I don't know the words to. And, and then they're sitting in the service, and then the pastor comes up to him, and he goes, he goes, hey, you, you're going to share a word. And they go, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not preaching. They're preaching. No, 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 God's going to speak through you. I didn't prepare anything. Oh, it doesn't matter. And then they preached in an African church with one minute notice for 30 minutes, sharing a message of hope. Individuals who said, I'll never preach. That's not what I'm called to do. Preached in Africa. Team members who thought, I'm not here to pray over people. I'm here to watch the bags. I'm here to turn on the sound. I'm here to carry the speakers. Shared their testimonies. Shared the gospel. Lives were changed forever when they laid hands on someone and God healed them. That's why I do short-term missions. And that's why I believe every Christian who is physically capable, financially able, has the ability, should travel and do short-term missions somewhere in the world. That's not a lesson I learned on this trip. It's a lesson God has revealed to me for a long time, and it's why I'm the missions coordinator here at Freedom Valley Church. I want everyone in this congregation, everyone in this assembly, everyone a part of our church and our family to go on a short-term missions trip so that you can see what God can do through you. God can save the world. He doesn't need us. But when we see what he'll do through us, we realize who he is in us. And that's what I want for our church. That's why we do short-term missions. So I'd like to share three more lessons that I learned in Africa. And the, the first one is, is something I observed in the life, lives of believers who had nothing. Christians who, who live their entire lives and have no, no money, maybe no job, no ability, and, and they have nothing. And, and I saw something in them. And it's the difference between phony faith and authentic faith. The difference between phony faith 
and authentic faith. You see, phony faith, faith is fake faith. It is dead faith. It is half-hearted faith. It is lifeless faith. It is blind faith. You know, a lot of times in movies, we, we talk about, you just need blind faith. You just have to blindly accept it. A leap of faith. You, you don't know, but you go. And, and I think there's some elements to it, but I think that's really dumbing down what the word faith is supposed to mean. And when we have blind faith and we communicate that, that faith in God is just blind faith, you can never know, like, like these things, we, we feed into the hands of atheists. Because, you know, atheists have a really jaded view of Christians. They think we're idiots who, who just blindly accept whatever we're told. And that's not what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to test the scriptures. We're supposed to actually challenge the words that are being spoken. Always challenge the words that you hear from this stage. Go to the Bible and see if they're true. Pray and seek God. But, but an, a famous atheist said that faith is an illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable. An illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable. It's illogical to believe that the improbable could happen. That's his view of faith. Here's my view of faith. It's assurance of things hoped for and confidence in things not yet seen. Okay? My faith is not blind and it is not fake. It is authentic because when I'm not sure if something can happen, I put it to the test. I put it to the test. God can handle our testing. It, it's not, God, if you don't send rain right now, you're not God. That's not testing. That's stupid. It's, God, your word says that when we prayed, we would see things happen. So I will pray until I see something happen. And we test it and we test it, and we test it, and we lay hands on the sick, and we can see them healed. We pray for the lost, and we see their lives changed. We encounter the very strong demonic of this world, and we realize that there's truth to it. You know, faith is one of those things that a lot of times our faith is, is weak because it hasn't yet been tested. The Bible talks extensively about the fact that blessed are we when our faith is tested because we're given the opportunity to stand when our faith is tested, our faith can become stronger. In Ethiopia, I learned this in some ways because we, we confronted spiritual persecution for the first time. Muslims met us on the streets. They pushed up, up, us up against the buses. They threw stones at us. They cursed at us, and they demanded we leave. That's what we faced in Ethiopia, another SOS trip. But in Arusha, we faced a different type of testing. This was not spiritual persecution. It was spiritual oppression and attack. As a matter of fact, we saw the demonic manifest on a daily basis in Arusha. You see, the spiritual warfare that happened in Arusha, it wasn't um, subduing the church. It was attacking the church with spiritual battles. And the faith was being tested in that way. So this lesson I actually see in a story of scripture in Mark 9, verse 17. Mark 9, verse 17. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Pause there for a second. Here's the thing about faith. In Arusha, we faced the demonic. 
And we were actually prepared for this. SOS said that there are witchcraft strongholds, there are many witch doctors, that there is entrenched spiritual warfare here in Arusha, and we will have to face it. So our team prayed, and we fasted, and we faced what was in front of us, and we wouldn't allow fear to dictate our faith. But I'm going to be real honest and vulnerable with you. I still had fear. Fear of the opponent that was in front of me. Now, I want to be clear. I wasn't afraid that they would have power over me. I've studied the demonic and I've faced it before. And let me explain something really important before we go any further. I personally have nothing to fear for myself from demonic entities. Okay? The Bible is clear that they cannot fill a full vessel. That I have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, my sin has been forgiven, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. That means I am full with the power and presence of God. How could a demon inhabit that vessel? I have no fear for myself. Here's what I fear, and it's very clear. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. I fear failure when facing these powers. That's my fear. The disciples walked with Jesus, received training from my Savior. They, they had the power. They had cast out demons before. They had healed the sick before, but this one they could not. It was stronger than them in that way. It was not stronger than the Savior within them, but it was stronger than their ability to control it, demand it, and cast it out. That's the fear that I have when I face the enemy. What if I'm not able to deal with this? What if the person who I'm praying for stays oppressed because I was not ready? I have fear about that. And I had to confront that fear. And it's a very real fear. And maybe you've never confronted the reality the truth of the demonic. And now I wanted to remind you that faith isn't blind. It, it isn't, this isn't real. I just have to take someone else's word for it. And I wanted to bring back some evidence of this. And at one point at one of the festivals, Johannes started declaring healing. You see the demons, they always show up whenever we want to heal people because they know if individuals see the power of God, they'll run to him. So they want to show their power in that moment. So every night at the festival, when we said it's time for healing, they would start to manifest in individuals. And on one of the nights, I captured this clip of them being manifest in the lives of people in Arusha. And I wanted to share it with you. I'm breaking your power. In the front of the you don't have a chance. Hold on the fast. My Jesus has defeated you. Yes, one of them will shoot you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm coming against your power. You must do the thing we are for you. What you're seeing happening is demons manifesting inside the lives of an individual, and they begin to lash out very violently. You'll see a lot of people in vests that have been designated to be standing around the crowd to prepare themselves for this because we're aware of it. And what they begin to do is to cause an intense distraction in the audience so that people's eyes move off of Jesus and onto them. So what we do is we immediately remove them from that situation. We get them out. It's also a safety thing. Um, we encountered a, a demonically possessed girl on one of our street outreaches. And she started violently swinging and shrieking and scratching and clawing at everything in motion of her. And we brought her to the ground and we began to pray over her. She grabbed me by the hands and with strength that is hard to explain, began to try to bend my fingers back and dig my own fingernails into her hand to cut her. 
Again, the demon didn't care about her or the vessel. It cared about causing a distraction there at that location, hurting me and hurting her in the process. And we began to declare the blood of Jesus and the power of Jesus and call out the demon inside of her. We did. Peace came in a moment. And then we looked her in the eyes and we said, would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And right then, at the mention of the name of the Holy Spirit in her tongue that she understood, erupted again with a separate demon inside of her a separate power inside of her. And this happened two or three times until we finally realized she is full. She had witchcraft scarring on her face. We found an amulet and waist belt around her waist that we cut off, again bringing peace, calm to the situation for a moment. But every time that we tried to bring the Holy Spirit into that vessel and fill it, we could not because it was still full. At that same location, there was another woman incredibly experienced in um, where they're bringing those individuals. What you'll see is they're bringing those individuals to the Freedom Place, a separate place dedicated, dedicated to helping people find freedom away from what's happening with the healing so that we can separate the two. She actually ran the Freedom Place, so she was very experienced. And at one point, we realized we were struggling. We, we could not finish or fix or, or solve the problem with Jesus. We couldn't do it, so we were looking for Emma. Where's Emma? So I start looking for Emma, and I find Emma. And I'm like, Emma, we, oh no. And I realize Emma is busy casting out a demon out of another individual. This individual was rigid, locked, and foaming at the mouth, just pouring out of her mouth. And Emma is speaking softly and in peace. I know that seemed very chaotic and disorderly and, and scary. And Emma is just silently saying, demon of witchcraft, which I have named, in the name and the power of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of this vessel. I take authority in this moment. And no matter what anyone else says, you must listen to my voice and to Jesus Christ and you must leave. And she calmly and peacefully is working with this woman. And this woman starts foaming at the mouth and spitting it on the ground removing that demon of witchcraft. And you know what I realized later on in the day? The one that was manifesting violently and with power showed up to prevent the freedom and healing for the individual that Emma was working with. She wanted us to be so distracted and so enthralled that we would grab Emma and pull Emma over and say, Emma, we need freedom here. But that one had no intention of finding freedom, only preventing freedom from someone else. And Emma stayed, she focused, and she found freedom for that woman. They prayed for her. She accepted Jesus as her Savior. She became filled with the Holy Spirit. She committed to going to a church and coming to the festival that night. One wanted to distract, and the other individual wanted freedom from the power within her. This is tough stuff. This was hard for me. It challenged my faith because what if I'm not good enough? What if, like the disciples, I'm not able to cast out that demon? And maybe you're here in this room saying, I know I'm not strong enough. I know I'm not capable. Having that kind of challenge to your faith is good. We need to test our faith. Jesus, when realizing his disciples couldn't cast out the demon, responds in verse 19. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into a fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. 
This is the other part that challenges my faith. If I can, what if I can't? And Jesus responds to that. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. I do have faith. But help me with my unbelief. My faith struggles. You can stay back on that verse. I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Authentic faith acknowledges its weaknesses. Phony faith says, I believe and have full confidence, and no matter what, I got nothing, I'm good, I got this. That's phony, fake, blind faith. Authentic faith says, I still struggle with some things, but I'm going to step out and I'm going to try every chance that I get. That's real and authentic faith. We see another time in scriptures, yeah, it challenges us. We actually see another time in scriptures where where some uh, claimed believers, followers of the way, said, we're going to go cast out a demon. And they go into a house of a strong demon, a very strong demon. And they go, we cast you out in the name of Jesus and the name of Paul. And the demon goes, I know Jesus and I've heard of Paul, but I don't know you. And it beats the man, strips them naked, and throws them out into the streets. That's phony, fake faith. Real faith says... I am absolutely nothing with no power on my own, but in the name of Jesus, I will stand here and I will fight, even if it means I will lose. That's real and authentic faith. I was confronted with this on the last outreach that we had. We, had, we were tired. The, it, missions is exhausting. We'd been going for 12-hour days for over a week. We'd been barely sleeping. We're in another country. Our meals are different. Everything is different. It's uncomfortable, and we're tired, and we're at our last team outreach. And we're preaching the gospel. And all of a sudden, an individual in the back, a really tall guy, stands up, holds up our flyer upside down, and starts shouting something in Swahili. And I walk over to him. Actually, I didn't walk over to him right away because I looked at him and went, oh, that guy's demon-possessed. Yellow eyes, declaring loudly against us, trying to distract the crowd. And I went, hey, where's an SOS team member that's going to deal with this? Where's Emma? Oh, Emma's not here. Where's, where's uh, Andreas? Nope, he's not here either. The other SOS team member's preaching. Maybe someone else can deal with this. And there was nobody. So I walk up to this guy who's easily a foot and change taller than me, who is violent, who is angry, and who is strong. And I know, I have no idea what to do, but I walk up to him, and I look him in the eyes, and I say, hey, man, what's up? And he starts talking to me in some broken English. He had some English. And he he starts saying something. He goes, I am present. I am present. And I thought he was saying he's present, like I'm here, I'm here. And and later somebody said, that guy kept telling you he was possessed. That's crazy. I was like, oh. (laughs) I mean, I knew he was possessed, but he was declaring it. And he was staring me in the eyes in the most uncomfortable and aggressive and challenging way I've ever seen, moving his eyebrows, clicking his jaw, looking for a fight. This demon wanted to fight. It came to fight. And you know what it wanted? It wanted me to look him in the eyes and with phony, fake faith, declare in power that I knew I didn't have, say, come out. And then he would have erupted. And he would have been fighting. And he would have attacked. And he would have lashed out. And he would have distracted from what was more important in the moment. This was a hard decision for me to make. Do I help this man potentially find freedom, which I don't believe he wanted, or do I allow him to confront me? Do I stand here in the the weakness I have in my own 
failures and go, I will defend what God is doing, and I will stand here even if this guy attacks me. And I just stood there as he stared me down, constantly laughing in my face. He handed me his driver's license and started talking about it. I, I, think, I think that was the demon saying, this is mine, like the person he had, like this is mine. And it, it was just, it was dark and it was scary. And I had to deal with the fact that my faith is strong enough to stand right now. That's all I had. And I grew in that moment. And we have to be okay with the fact that authentic faith recognizes its unbelief. It recognizes its weakness. Fake and phony faith will not stand. It will fall. And in that moment, I was able to stand, thank God, so that others could do the work so that others could lead people to Jesus, pray with them, pray for healing. And we saw healings at that location. We saw people saved at that location. And that's all we can do sometimes. Authentic faith sees what's true, sees the weaknesses, sees their flaws, and then says, but I will follow Jesus in spite of everything in front of me. We need that kind of authentic faith in our lives. We need it. And we'll only have it if we challenge what we think to be true. Maybe coming in here before this morning, you were like, ah, demons are probably not real. I mean, I know they're in the Bible, but I've never seen one. They're there. They're active. They're active in our culture, too, in different ways. And we have to confront them with our own abilities and with God's help, with our own strength and with his strength, with our own weakness and his strength. We have to face what's in front of us. That's lesson one from Africa. Lesson two. This one, uh, that one was, was deep, tough, challenging. It was, I could have done them in a different order maybe, but here's number two, the importance of honor. This is something I learned that, that I hadn't really seen very much. It, 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 they have a culture of honor in the Arushan churches that's kind of hard for me to describe. It honestly made me really, really uncomfortable. Uh, you see, I preached at, at two different churches, and at both churches, the minute I got out of the car, an individual walked up to me and, and grabbed my Bible and walked it to where I was sitting and set it on my seat. I was like, what's going on? And like the first time they did it, I went, no, no, I got it. And he's like, let me serve you. I was like, in what way, man? I can hold my Bible. Well, he's like seven ounces. Like, I got this. He's, no, 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 no. Let me honor you. Let me serve you. And I was like, okay. Like, I don't, this is weird. It's uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. Like, I can hold this. I'm, it's like, you know how sometimes you hold a door open from someone and they're like, I got it. It's like, I was just trying to hold the door for you. I don't, that's what it was like. It's like, I can hold my Bible, dude. What do you think I am? Like, a stick? Like, I can hold. Anyway, it was, it was awkward. And that's not where it stopped. Like, they'd pull the chair out from me. They have special seats. Like, like you guys are sitting in the audience. Our pastors, when we communicate, we sit in the audience. They have seats for, for us on the stage. And I sit up on the stage the whole time. And it's like special seats, like almost like thrones that you have to sit in as a, as a way to honor the pastor, as the way to honor the men and women of God that lead in their church. It's, it's a totally different thing. And at first I was like, they're wrong. This is weird. This is really, really uncomfortable. They need to stop putting their pastors on a pedestal. This is not right, that we're all the same. Don't they get that we're all priests? We're all believers. We're all, we're a kingdom of priests. We all should be at the same level. Round table, King Arthur, like this isn't right. America, land of the free, home of the brave. We're all equal, right? That's how I felt. I was, they were wrong, and I should probably teach them the right way to do things. 
And then the, the next night, it was, I think it was Tuesday night, Johannes, the, the man who runs all of SOS, he's spoken here a number of times, uh, a spiritual father into so many of us. He, he came and he communicated. But before he walked up to preach to, to all of us on the team, Walter, the one who runs the, the missions trips, he said, we need to take a second. And I know Americans, you don't like this, but we need to give honor to the man of God before he comes. And he spent like five minutes talking about the importance of giving honor to the man of God, the person who will speak for God, the one who is invested in us, the one who is leading us, the one who is leading the trip, how important it is, how necessary it is, how, how when we lift him up, we create room for God to do more. And, and it, was, it was like challenging to me. And then when he finishes, he says, now, would you welcome the man of God, Johannes? And we all erupt and we applaud. And then I realized we were not applauding for Johannes. Because you see, we applaud for celebrities and we applaud at award ceremonies or when sports teams win. And we're applauding the individuals. But when we were applauding and honoring Johannes, we were honoring God. It was not about him it was about the God he was representing for us. And we need to start building a culture of honor in our society. I need to start allowing for a culture of honor. You know, you know why as a church we don't really want to talk about a culture of honor? Because I never want any praise for these type of things. It feels weird. I don't like it. But it doesn't matter. And here's why. Jesus actually encountered a place where they would not show him honor in Mark 6, verse 1. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many were, who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed the exact opposite of honor. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in him. He's just one of us. He's just a normal guy. He's nothing special. Doesn't that sound like how I'm nothing special? Candace is nothing special. The worship team, they're nothing special. The people who lead us, they're nothing special. They're just people, right? They were deeply offended. Then Jesus told him, a prophet is honored everywhere, except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, their lack of honor was unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and to heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Except to place his hands on a few sick people. Remember how we, we had 900 healings? How our team itself had dozens and dozens of healings? In, here in America, we encounter a few healings. We occasionally see healings. And I'm starting to think that there's an element of the fact that we lack honoring that prevents our belief. Because when we come up here to preach the word of God, it, it's, it's God's word coming through a vessel, I hope. And I pray and I work at I, I want people to look at me. I actually do like attention. And, and you guys have been in the audience long enough here that you know, I don't mind. I kind of like attention. But I never want the focus to be on me. When people look at me, I want them looking at Jesus. 
I don't know if I have time. I'm going to do it anyway. I, they told this awesome story in, in Africa. They, they preached to us every morning, and it was amazing. And, and Walter comes up, and he tells the story of a donkey. You see, donkeys, they're very humble creatures. They're, they're not very brave. They're not very glamorous. They're not like horses. And this donkey lived a humble life. But one day, somebody came and got it, and it, he combed the donkey, and he made the donkey beautiful. And the donkey walked past the mirror, and he goes, ooh, don't I look beautiful? Look at how pretty I am. And then they put a beautiful robe on the donkey. He goes, oh, this is nice. Look how great I am. And then, then, then they put someone on the donkey's back, and they began to march him. And everybody starts praising the donkey and, and how wonderful the donkey is. And the donkey's like, aren't I special? Look at me, all the people paying attention to me. Isn't it great? And then he got, walks into a city, and as he enters the city, they start cheering and shouting at the donkey. Oh, beautiful donkey, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the donkey believes he is something great. But you see, they were shouting for the one who was riding on the donkey. And I would love to be seen as a donkey to the rest of the world if all they see is the one who's sitting on top of me. When we give honor to the donkey, we're giving honor to the one riding it. Listen, listen, I'm, I'm going to use some language here. I want to prepare those who might become offended. If people see me as an ass, I don't care, as long as they recognize the one riding it. I will be that, that, that donkey. I will be that. And in, in Arusha, I actually got to be that. You see, with, with like five minutes notice, they were like, we need someone to be Lazarus. And I'm like, I can do it. And they put me in a white sheet, and then they cover me in a chair cover. And then eight guys pick me up, and they're like, they're like okay, we're going to carry you out. We're going to lay you down, and you'll be dead. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And they do that. And, and I'm laying there, and I'm praying the whole time. As I'm laying with a blanket over my head, about to walk out in front of 10,000 people going, let no one see me. Let no one see me. Let them see God. And then they go, we need somebody to be a dog and, and wear a tail and chase their tail on stage in front of 10,000 people. And I go, God, let no one see me. Let them see the message. Let them see you. And they're like, we need someone to be a tiny boxer, like a boxer that's definitely going to lose. And they put gloves on my hands, and I knock out some guy for an illustration. Let no one see me. Let them see you. We need a culture of honor. Not because Candace needs honor. Not because I want any kind of honor for what I do. But if people are giving honor, we can point that honor right to Jesus. But when people give dishonor, what, what do we have left to reflect to him? Don't honor me. Honor God. When, when the word is being preached on this stage, it's not about the person preaching it. It's about the one we're talking about. So when we give honor, where honor is due, it is not to Candace. It is not to myself. It is not to the other communicators on this stage. It is to the God that they are representing in the moment. Because as Jesus said, a prophet receives honor everywhere, and we have to become okay with that. And you know, there's an element of this that, that in leadership, we receive quite a bit of dishonor. Um, and and that's, that's part and partial. It's going to happen. We, we take arrows. We, we get wounded. People attack us. It happens. I'm okay with it. I'm not complaining. I would give everything to do this job every day the rest of my life. I will face every attack the enemy has for us. I will. But when we receive honor, it heals those wounds. Our leaders need honor. Give it to them when you're able. And, and don't go above. Keep this balance. Like, it becomes unhealthy when it's like, it's like, oh, great Candace and your mighty power. Like, that's not what we're saying. 
keep it healthy. But when we do it, we allow honor to go to God when we honor the man, the woman of God, presenting the word of God. It's not something I'm comfortable with, but God challenged me that I need to become okay with it. I need to create room where, thank you. That's all, I, I, I struggle. People, if you've ever complimented me after a sermon, I'm always like, <laughs> thank you. Thank God. We did this. He did this. Isn't that great? And we need to do that. And it's not just, just the preachers up here. There's other spiritual leaders in your life. And we should be giving honor to one another. We should be shaking each other's hands, warmly greeting one another, hugging each other, building each other up, having a culture of honor. And I learned that in Arusha. Number three that I learned is I will give everything for the gospel. This is something I've known about myself, but I experienced in, in a new way in Arusha. Um, very quickly, I, I received an injury early on in the trip. I was hurt. I was tired. I was exhausted. And I knew if I just backed off a little bit, if I just calmed down, if I let somebody else uh, be the energy person, if I let somebody else carry the generator, if I let somebody else do something, my wounds would heal and I'd have more energy. If I didn't shout so much, my voice could heal and I could preach better. If I just held back a little bit in the times of worship, I'd have more energy later. But I learned that when I hold back, I prevent the gospel from moving forward. Jesus paid it all. I will give it all for the gospel. And this, this is actually um, me preaching on the street. I was incredibly tired this day. This was like day four of preaching. Just, just beat. It's their third outreach. We've now carried the generator to multiple locations. Uh, we've, we've, been, we've been shouting, we've been shooting. I'm like the MC on these outreaches. That means I, it's my job to set the tone with energy. What I start doing is I start shouting, hey, Arusha, come here, come here. I start doing push-ups because like, people come to like, look at what I'm doing. And, and then I start doing handstands, and I'm walking on my feet. And then I start, start just jumping high. Who can jump higher than me? I bet you there's someone who can jump higher. And then I just jump. Like, I'm doing whatever I can to get people close. And I'm using all of my energy. And it's the end of the day, and I'm beat. And they're like, Jason, we want you to preach. And I'm like, okay. And um, this is me telling the story of Zacchaeus. And you can't quite tell. I'm actually standing on a couple of my translators' backs because I climbed the tree and I was being Zacchaeus. And I'm just, I'm just standing up, screaming and shouting. And I start pointing at people in the audience. And I say, you're Zacchaeus. You're Zacchaeus. And Jesus calls to you today and giving my everything for the gospel time and time again. I watched our team members do this. It's exhausting. You give up your comfort. You give up your family. You give up your time. You give up your finances. You give up your freedom. Listen, SOS runs a tight ship. They say, be here at 10. If you're not there at 9.55, you're late. They run a tight ship. It is, it is boot camp for a week. They spend a lot of time saying, we will yell at you. Please don't be offended because we have to keep things tight. Because five minutes lost is one salvation lost. And one life is why we're here. Everything matters. It is, it is boot camp. It is work. You wake up at 5.30. You get dressed. At 6 o'clock, you have personal devotions. 6.30, you have team devotions. 7 o'clock, you have breakfast. 7.45, you have team gathering with an hour-long 
uh, message, worship, and prayer. You give your heart out. And then at 8.20, you have, uh, no, 9.20, depending on how long the thing went, you have lineup. And you have to be at lineup 20 minutes early to get the sound system on the bus. Then you have to be there 15 minutes early to get the bags ready. Then you have to be there five minutes early so you're all lined up. And then you have to have all your items and you're ready to go. Then you load up on the bus. You go out until lunch. You have lunch. You go back out again. Then you have festival. Here's what festival is. We show up at 3 o'clock. We look at the stage. And we stand there. Stand for six hours. And you can't just stand because locals are going to come up to you during the worship. And even though you don't know the songs, they're going to be like, let's dance. And you have to smile and you have to dance for hours. Because if you sat down and were tired, you might distract one person from the message. And we will give everything for one person to hear the message. I will not become a stumbling block for the gospel. I will give everything. I will give my discomfort. Uh, the, the bathroom situation. I have time for this, right? Yeah, the bathroom situation in Arusha. Um, who here has a toilet in their home? Okay, now here's a question I never thought I'd have to ask. Is it a sit-down toilet? Because in, in Arusha and in most of the developed world, you see, they don't have porcelain seats. They have, they have porcelain, um, like, trenches. It's like, a, it's like a trench in the ground with a hole, and it's like, and, and here's, they explain SOS day one. They taught us all how to do it, how to use the trench. You see, you have, to, you have to take your pant leg off, take a shoe off, take your pant leg off, and then you put the pant leg here, and then you have to squat over the trench. No seat, just balance. It's a challenge. And, and you try not to fall in. You don't want to get any on your shoes. It's a challenge. I'll do it again for the gospel of Jesus. I'll give up my comfort. Uh, some of us occasionally had hot showers in Arusha. I'll do it again for the message of the gospel. Many of us didn't sleep because we shared a room with eight people. Four of them snored. I'll do it again for the message of the gospel. Many of us were injured. One of our team members who played Jesus in our skit passed out in the middle of the drama from exhaustion. It was perfect timing, as a matter of fact. It was Jesus being crucified, and then there's a loud lightning bolt, and then he's supposed to die. And he took it very seriously, because he went, boom, and he falls down right on the ground. And then the guards, they're like, what do we do? And they just drag his limp body back. And then he gets back to where he's supposed to be, and he wakes up, and he stands up, and he holds the cross, <laughs> and he finishes the drama. Because we'll do everything so that one person might hear the message of the gospel. And I do that on missions trips. But God challenged me. On the missions field, I will give everything. Why am I not giving everything every day? Why am I okay with, I'll take a week off? <laughs> yeah, we need rest. Don't get me wrong. You can't keep up that schedule forever. But, but I can still pray every day as if it's the missions field. I can still view every person I encounter as if they're a missions field. I can still give a little extra in worship as if it's the missions field. I will give everything for the message of Jesus. And I want us to be a church that will give everything for the message of Jesus. This will be uncomfortable sometimes. You might not have to sit in a squatty potty. That's what they call them, the trenches, because you squat and it's a pot, pot. Anyway, you might not have to do that, but you might have to do something else that's uncomfortable. You might not have to, to stand in front of a demon so that others are able to receive the gospel. 
but you might have to stand in front of your coworker and confidently say, I can't do that, I'm a believer. That's not right for me. I'm sorry if that makes you feel bad, but I have to be honest about who my God is. You might be mocked because you're unwilling to participate in what your coworkers do. You can't hang out at the places you used to hang out at. You might have to sacrifice in some way, but it's worth it so that one person might spend eternity. We forget that sometimes. This is not about having a good life here on earth. I want everyone here to have a good life here on earth. I want you to be blessed as you come and as you go. I want you to live the best life you possibly can. But to be honest, I could actually, I can't give a crap about your comfort. I can't. Because the rest of eternity is on the line. Not 80 years, which even the best and most comfortable life has discomfort, has aches and pains, and you will die here on earth. Eternity is so much more, and I will give everything. And my question for you today is, will you, will you give everything for the message of the gospel? Will you worship vibrantly? Will you give honor even when it's uncomfortable? Will you address the fact that your faith is real and authentic, which means sometimes it's hard and you have to test it. You have to seek out those tests and challenge your own faith. Will you do that for the message of the gospel, for the best news that we've ever heard? At Freedom Valley, we never end a service without an invitation to receive Jesus Christ. And I haven't talked much about the amazing news of Jesus, but here it is. God loved Arusha so much, he sent 10 individuals to share his son's love. He loved the whole world so much that he sent one individual to show his love. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be beaten and bruised and die on a cross to pay the price for my sin because you see, my sin separated me from God so far that I couldn't spend eternity with him. But there's good news. God wanted to forgive me, and the only way he could do that was with a payment in blood, and he paid it with his own blood, his son's blood, and he forgives me, and I can repent, and I can walk away from it, and I can live a new life. That's the message of the gospel. If you've never heard that message, or you've heard it before, but you're not living it now, if you want to ask God for the forgiveness of your sins, if you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again, and lives, if you want him to become the Lord of your life, you can make that decision today. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. If you've already made that decision, but you want to live authentic faith, real faith in this world, if you want to give honor where honor is due, and if you want to start giving everything for the gospel, you can respond to that also in a moment. Would you close your eyes with me? Create some space for a decision to be made. I believe that there's some individuals in this room that they came to hear these shocking stories and this silly communicator so that God could change your life. We went to Arusha just for one, and we saw thousands saved. I'm going to spend some time here right now just for one. 
I think there's an individual here who needs to make a real life change. Maybe your faith has been phony for some time. You've prayed the sinner's prayer, but you're not living a believer's life. And you need to say, I need to get real with God. I need him to forgive me my sins. I need to make him the Lord of my life. I need to live a changed and new life because of the power of Jesus. If you want to make Jesus your savior today, would you let me know by raising your hand? I need Jesus to forgive me my sins. I need a new life. Just one moment longer. I, I, I think there's somebody here who's still struggling and afraid. I don't want him to know that it wasn't real for me before. But I want it to be real now. Okay. You've, if your hand was raised, you were handed a card, and it's just some next steps for you to take in faith. Now, if you're here today and you say, I need to challenge my faith to make sure that it's real. I don't want to live phony faith, and I need my faith to be challenged. I need to test my faith. I need to stretch myself in some way. Would you raise your hand? You can put your hands down. If you'd say, I, I struggle with giving honor, receiving honor, and I want to create a culture of honor in my life, honoring the people who speak for God in my life, honoring the God that I see in others around me, honoring God. If you want to create a culture of honor in your life, would you raise your hand? Help creating a culture of honor. All right, put your hands down. And then finally, if you'd say, I, I need to give everything the gospel. I've been holding back. I've been lazy. I've been doing my own thing, and I need to give my time, my talents, my treasure, my focus to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Jesus, I thank you for these responses. Responses for salvation, the steps taken in faith to grow towards you. And I ask, Father, that you, you would make the change that we can't make, that we would follow you faithfully and grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I go, I have one more response for this message. I, I want to give some active steps that you can take in, in challenging your personal faith. Maybe you've never considered a missions trip, but as I talked about it, you thought, I wish I was there. I, I want to see God do these things in the developing world, all around the world. I want to I see what God can do through me. FV Church is going to go on another SOS missions trip in 2020. We're going to Dukirk, Senegal. Dakar, Senegal. I'm bad at pronunciations. Dakar, Senegal, September 2020. If you want to go with us, with Johannes, in the missions field, there's three ways you can serve on that team. We need, we need kids team members, people who will, will share the gospel with kids, play with children, um, work hard so that thousands of children hear the gospel. We need outreach team members who are willing to share their testimony and serve and work. And we want to bring individuals who are willing to swing a hammer and be part of the AV team with the SOS crew. It's my goal that our church brings at least 25 people on the next SOS missions trip. And maybe that's you. And you need to begin praying about that now because September 2020 will be here before you know it and there's work to be done. You'll hear about that trip soon. Begin praying now so that you're ready when we talk about it. And then next, maybe, maybe you're, I need to do something here and I need to do it now. Our church camp series starts next week. 
I'm heavily involved in this series because I want to create fun events around church that connect people to Jesus. And we're going to be spending the next week decorating our lobby, decorating our kids' ministry, decorating the hallways, decorating our church so that it looks totally different, so that it's welcoming and inviting, that it connects to the concept that, hey, we're at camp, we're, we're learning, we're growing, we're having these creative moments, and we want it to become something special. Maybe you'd say, I can, I can help paint some cardboard boxes. I can help uh, build a dog house. I can help make that great. We have so many ways you could get involved. And if that's you, go to the FB Church app, go to the sermon notes, and you can actually sign up to help us out all week long. We're going to be here from 6 to 8, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock at night. Come help us serve in that way. Give your all so that even one person might come to that church event and learn about Jesus. Thank you so much for welcoming me home. Thank you for sending me. Thank you to those of you who went on the trip. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Oh, Jason, I don't know if you saw live stream at all last week, but we did brag on you a little bit. Lance actually sent me a text while they were over there thanking us for sending you and for sending the team. He said, literally, he said to me, we haven't had an MC out on street ministry like Jason for a very long time. He said, your ability to draw a crowd is amazing. So if we're talking about honor, let's honor Jason a little bit. And the team that went, thank you for representing us so well.